Welcome to Three Little Things, a natural health podcast. We've created this space to help you positively navigate the world of holistic and natural well-being, where each week we will explore something new and dive into a diverse range of holistic health topics from all walks of life. As chiropractors, we are equally passionate about helping educate, share and empower you on your well-being journey. Created with you in mind, Three Little Things aims to bring you digestible topics and applicable tools and strategies to help you grow, thrive and live well. So let's dive in. Welcome back to all of our wonderful listeners and thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the Three Little Things podcast. Another wonderful episode today. We had a lot of fun filming this one with our guest Archie Richards, who for those of you that don't know is Lily's son and my partner. So it's always extra fun to have him on the podcast. Uh, It's always full of banter and full of laughs and this episode was no different. Um, We unpack a lot of amazing things in this episode. We talk about strength training and what Archie is really good at is simplifying things and bringing it back down to basics and then giving us some really good examples that we can take away and apply straight away to our day. So Archie gave us so much wealth, so much knowledge and gave us so many snippets of information and examples that we can take into our day, as I said. And I cannot wait for you guys to listen to it and take away as much as we took away from filming it. So please enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of the Three Little Things podcast. My name is Sarah and I'm joined with my co-host Lily and we have another um, special guest on today, Archie, which we'll get into in a little minute. But um, Lily, tell us a little bit about what Three Little Things is, what the podcast is all about and yeah. So we began this late last year during um, lockdown, as you all know by now who've been following um, our progress and we've had a lot of fun having various guests uh, speak to us on the philosophy of health that we want to place this whole concept into and that is the triad of health. So the triad being mechanical or structural, biochemical and then mental emotional. We also wanted to bring some words into everyday play, so homeostasis, um, upregulate, downregulate, amygdala, um, parasympathetic, sympathetic nervous system, um, neuroimmunity, Um, and various other words that we want people to use quite freely so that they can actually um, Google also more correctly. We want generally people to know um, how to think, not what to think, and have some agency over how their health progresses through life. So we've chosen our guests with those concepts in mind, and I think today you'll enjoy our guests who will probably speak to the triad, not just to one of the triad. I think he will probably... Um, allude to the whole triad. Yeah, definitely. And some of you may remember our guest, his name is Archie Richards, and he was um, on season one, episode seven. So if you want to listen to that, go back and listen to it. It was a great episode. It was a fun episode. Um, but today we're going to sort of... If you say so yourself. I think, <laughs> I think it was the best episode. Okay, well, we'll have a look at the ratings. Eh? Um, yeah, today's going to be another fun episode, I'm sure, if this is anything to go by. But Archie, just for our listeners, give a little bit of a brief intro into who you are. Yeah, well, I'm still an exercise physiologist. Um, I still work at a place called Rebound Health in Northern Beaches. Um, and I still use movement and exercise to help people with medical conditions, injuries, and disabilities. Uh, and yeah, that, that's what I do. That's what I love. Uh, I was on the best episode of The Three Little Things last year, episode seven, closely followed by Greg Hawes the last two, um, or sorry, a couple of weeks ago for the listeners. Those were very good episodes. I enjoyed that. 
They were fabulous episodes. Thanks for that little plug there, Arch. Um, today we're going to talk about strength training and some myths that come around that. Now, yeah. I think this is a pretty cool topic, given that a little bit of our theme over the, you know a, se- a couple of episodes this series or this season have been around not only men men specifically in terms of their health, but just I guess some we've unpacked I guess some topics that aren't talked about as frequently or that we kind of know are there but just haven't really gone into much. So today we're going to talk about some myths in strength training um, and some myths in muscle building and we're going to touch I think Archie on both female and male. Definitely. We're going to talk a little bit about both Um, and as Lily alluded to we're going to talk about how that I guess how mindset might influence that and how I guess the triad of health comes into it. Yeah well I think especially with strength training um, when we talk about topics not talked about as much uh, it's probably more so on the female side of things because I feel like in the male population, strength training, weight training is uh, very accepted, has been for a long time, and people are very, very on board with it. It's probably more so, and it's more common now, very more accepted now for females um, and encouraged for females to do strength training. But I still think there are a couple of myths out there that some people may need a reminder on um, and need a bit of reassurance on. Uh, to do with strength training so yeah so tell us why we would actually enter into the whole process of strength training in the first place Uh, well in terms of when it comes to exercise which is uh, very very important plays very much into the triad of health as you talked about uh, you've got your two main things you've got your cardiorespiratory fitness and then you've got your yes your muscle strength yeah Uh, and becoming it's becoming more and more important in the research with strength training uh, for all populations as well. For all the way from young age all the way through to people in their 90s, 100s and everything in between. That it's so important and for all kinds of conditions, disabilities, injuries, that strength training is really the bread and butter of of what a lot of exercise programs should be. Hmm, Because we get a lot of patients in here who um Unfortunately, they seem to fall into the demographic of um, young men who who train their um, <laughs> mirror mirror muscles. You know, the ones they can see in the mirror. Yeah. And very often they have not trained their posterior chain, mm. and that causes a lot of um, postural um, instability. Would you say? Uh, yeah. Mm, uh, I, I don't know if I fully agree with that. Mm. Uh, I think that that's becoming less common that people just train anterior muscles because uh, people do understand the importance of backs uh, and people love doing pull-ups and those sorts of things, but also going to the gym, doing your rows, doing your posterior chain, doing deadlifts. Uh, these are becoming very, very common. I think it's becoming less common that people just want to come in and do chest, abs, arms, less common. Um, but also I don't think that that is necessarily the main contributing factor to postural instability. Mm. And it's actually, you're speaking to a converted audience here because you know, both Sarah and I love exercise. So it's, if you want to you know, train us, we just we'll jump at it, just go, yay. Mm. But I must say, after 37 years in practice, it's probably one of the areas which I'm least good at mm. motivating or getting people to do. You mm. know? It's hard. Go, yeah. It's really hard. It's definitely uh, a bigger barrier than, say, going for a walk, going for a run, going for a swim. Uh, and... That's kind of why personal trainers, exercise physiologists exist. Uh, all of these great gyms that are around that pop up everywhere, 
a group training or to targeting a specific demographic it's like females only gym or you know active seniors gym these sorts of things that's why they're so important and so useful because they try and break down some of those barriers facilitate some more involvement in it uh, so yeah it is becoming more common but still definitely not as uh, ingrained in everyone's lifestyles it should be mm. and as you say you're never too old or too young to train no. um, what's the youngest um, person we can send to you guys well this is my this is my first myth is mm. that um, my first myth about strength training is that you you can be too young or too old to to involve yourself in strength training uh, so, so do you want to start with the younger yeah first mm. Uh, I don't think you can be too young to start strength training mm. and I think that comes down to what the definition of strength training is. Yes. That does not mean like going to the gym and lifting a barbell. Yeah, baby um, dumbbells. And you know. Yeah, <laughs> like and doing Olympic lifting. Mm. You know, that, strength training can be body weight. Strength yeah. training is just the amount Good. of load that is putting through those muscles. Fabulous. Um, and if you're a kid and your kid is doing monkey bars and climbing trees, yep. as I'm sure that you would have referenced on the podcast because... Mm. You love monkey bars and climbing I trees. Do rather. Yes. Well, on that, we're just like, I'll interject a little bit, is yeah. that kids are doing that less and less. Mm. So I think it brings it into the yeah. the yeah. If the benefit of strength training is yeah. that, yeah, you are never too young mm. to be doing strength training because mm. our kids should be doing that to develop yeah. their bodies and to develop their postures and their yeah. muscles and all that kind of stuff. So That's it. Well, and there's when been we... so much research re regarding grip strength too, mm. you know, grip strength That's and um, um, cardiovascular health yeah. actually has have been linked yeah. yeah so if we think about what uh, your average strength training program might look like for an adult who's going to the gym it would involve pulling it would involve pushing it would involve pulling and pushing above their head it would involve squatting and lifting from the ground as your main things uh, for a kid that's exactly what they'd be doing in real life anyway um, so climbing trees that's pulling themselves up it's also pushing with their feet doing monkey bars, that's holding, that's pulling themselves as well, uh, pushing anything above their head, you know, doing handstands, running around, uh, swimming, you know, running, mm. jumping, squatting. And back These in the are day, all just very normal things. Yeah, and I, I, whenever I say back in the day, I actually do mean 2,000 years ago. Um, we, did, <laughs> we did need a gym, you know, because you would send a child up a tree to pick up mm. some coconuts, mm. let's yeah. say you know, or give them a bow and an arrow and say, shoot some rabbits. Yeah. Uh, these days, they're given so much homework. Mm. Um, kids aren't allowed to climb trees anymore in case they break a bone. Um, I mean, what would you say to a parent? I mean, how, how do you motivate families to go and do these things? Look, it's, it's obviously a lot harder mm. for people, whether that is fear of kids hurting themselves or time constraints or them not being interested in it, it's harder, so mm. that's okay. Uh, there are a lot of things that have popped up as other options because people understand that kids don't necessarily want to play like that anymore and there are other options out there. Um, mm. I walk past a, uh, a gym in my local shopping centre that is a kids boxing mm. gym. Uh, there's a couple gyms around here called that are for kids one yeah. called My First Gym, Aww. and that's, <laughs> that's and, and they do you know circuit training and lifting things and throwing things. Um, and but I think the key thing here and amazing that we have those facilities mm. and even places like Rebound where you do you know specific stuff with kids yeah. is that it's tailoring that program 
for that child. So you said before, you know, strength training for a kid doesn't necessarily mean we're going to give him a barbell mm. as an eight-year-old and get him to, mm. you know, back squat or front squat mm. 100 kilos. Clearly that is inappropriate mm. for an eight-year-old to be doing. And mm. there's a whole host of consequences that we could see if we went down that, that mm. rabbit hole. But I think the cool thing about these facilities is that they're tailoring the program. And I think that's where it's important. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what's important to note as well, though, is when we talk about lifting weights as a kid, and you compare the load of lifting weights in a slow controlled manner uh, to uh, jumping out of a tree or jumping off a ledge mm. or getting tackled in footy or that sort of thing or wrestling in the playground, the load on the joints and the muscles is not actually different. And if anything, it's in a safer environment lifting a weight in a controlled manner. Um, so I actually think that it is, it is appropriate for kids to be able to lift weights obviously that are within their mm. lifting capacity but it's not as dangerous as people think to lift weights because they're actually going to be having those loads put through their body outside of the gym if they're going to be playing sports anyway so uh, i think it's really important that if kids are going to be exposed to loads outside of a gym uh, then it is important that they build a tolerance to that load and so doing some sort of training is probably actually useful. I'm thinking, I'm thinking vacuum cleaners and um, <laughs> laundry baskets. You can try that. <laughs> Imagine like a 10 kilo laundry basket for a kid at home. You're not going to tell them, oh my God, don't lift that. You'll hurt themselves. You go, oh, look at that. They're doing the chores. It's great. But then if you go to a gym and you put a 10 kilo dumbbell in front of them, mm. suddenly we're panicking. Mm. That mm. seems silly to me. Yeah, yeah. I don't that know if, we, if you want to touch on this or if you... Yeah, know much better, but what, where does sort of stunting growth come into that? Because I know that's a topic that I guess gets linked to this sort of stuff as well. Yeah, not so much. Yeah. Uh, there isn't a whole lot of research uh, that can link strength mm. training as a, as a youth to stunting growth as an adult. Yep. Uh, that's something that was much more common, commonly thought of uh, decades ago. Yep. Not so much anymore. Um, as long as you're lifting within that person's capacity, there's no different than doing that than getting involved in a rugby scrum or yes. playing soccer and changing direction really hard on that knee. You know, that's not going to affect the growth plates any more than doing a squat with the weight is. Mm. Yeah, so I think when you guys were kids, you had so many activities where we had far too many, but I really liked um, jiu-jitsu for that. Because yeah, was, martial arts, yeah, awesome. Yeah. So, all right, if we were to move into the formal idea of um, weight training, like mm. going to your gym or your lab, and actually giving a child a, a dumbbell or um, um, what are those things called? Barbells. Barbells. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell I do that. Um, what is a good age to actually start that kind of thing? I don't think they need to unless they are not doing other activities. I think for a young person, if barring their healthy and have no injuries, um, I feel like they should be able to get the benefits of strength training outside the gym environment, mm. doing an activity, doing a sport, martial art, uh, going to a My First Gym, these sorts of things, and just kind of doing outdoor kid activities. Right, That's so enough for me. Yeah. So, like, when, so on that then, no age. Because at what age are you going to say, uh, let your kids start playing soccer? Mm. At what age are you going to yeah. let your kid pick up a tennis racket yeah, or start doing martial arts? You go, oh, as soon as possible. Mm. 
Okay, so I'm, I'm thinking as we're talking about a couple of kids or several kids who we see here from a particular boys' school um, locally, mm-hmm. and, and I can see the challenges within a boys-only school keeping the boys um, doing stuff so they don't do crime, I suppose. But anyway, um, let's say they were in the gym doing um, weights. Is there some kind of set point where you might go, oh, that's too heavy for that child at that age, or or have these myths been busted as well? You know, because you know how well. What what can you guys deadlift say? Uh, not not relevant. <laughs> not relevant. Yeah, um, sort of boasting competition. I, I guess. Know. Yeah. <laughs> but also, completely dependent on the child. Completely dependent on how well their technique can hold up doing that exercise. And you know, I'm not going to be getting kids to lift uh, more than you know a weight that they can lift off the ground comfortably but I wouldn't be doing that with an adult or, a, or an elderly person either true, yeah true. there's no different that's the thing like there's mm. no uh, there's no like oh no more than their body weight or no more than 50% of their body weight mm. it's more so it's like what is within that kids capacity and what is it likely for them to be doing outside of the gym? Mm. Right. Good, good myth to bust. Yeah, go yeah. on. And so just before we kind of get into the other category of mm. this myth being the too old, if, for example, um, because I know, I mean, the last two years have done that as well, cancel a lot of our, our kids' activities. Mm. Um, if parents were looking for their child to go, instead of it being an activity-based, so mm. instead of them getting their strength training through jiu-jitsu or rugby mm. or whatever, mm. and they were looking at more of a program-based approach because they're not getting that strength training mm. in their activities, um, it's obviously important that they're not just signing them up to say fitness first, but they're putting no. them into an appropriate environment. Yeah, so absolutely. seeing a trained EP or getting a personal trainer that specializes with some kids yeah. to set up these assessments to look for their capabilities. Is that something that you would recommend? Uh, I would recommend that they do something that is social and enjoyable for the kid. Yeah. Um, I, for a lot of kids, I don't think a one-on-one with an adult teaching them how to do lift weights is going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. It's going to feel like they're going to see the doctor and yeah. they're making them do yeah. things and it's not fun, yeah. right? I'd rather them go into a class-based environment uh, or an outdoor training environment or this sort of thing. So, you know, look up gyms like My First Gym. They're all over Sydney, all over Australia, oh, I'm pretty never sure. Never heard of them. So, mm-hmm. so what age groups do they target? Oh, they've got everything. I'm pretty sure oh, yeah. they do like from five years old. And then w- there must be a cut-off age as well. Oh, well, they have different classes. So they might have like a 5 to 8, and an 8 to 11, and then like a teenager. Yeah, come yeah, up to yeah 16. no past, not past Probably 18, 16, oh, I would no, say. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. But, yeah. You know, once you get to 16, you can generally have your own uh, gym membership and yeah. mm-hmm. go to commercial gym or join classes. And at that yeah. age, I think that's totally fine. But that's a good point, you know, um, not the one-on-one thing because it's boring, but also it's... It's a lifestyle thing, so you yeah. want to be social mm. and yeah. connected with your yeah. peers. Yeah. Look, I, I've helped uh, kids not so much under the age of 10, um, uh, unless they have a disability, but like, uh, you know, kind of 11, 12, 13 year olds who weren't interested in any sports at the moment. Uh, they've come in to see me and we've tried to just identify interests yeah. mm. and go through different types of training, yeah. not just lifting weights, but like boxing, throwing balls, cycling, uh, jumping, you know, doing spins, you know, whatever, Mm. trying to find different things that they might be interested in and then build their confidence to go and like participate in other sports, other activities that don't require a one-on-one with them. Yeah, because we we did have this previous discussion with our last guest regarding elite training of um, uh, kids too young and and overtraining them and then then having stress fractures, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. 
so looking at the balance of exercise that they do for yeah. that particular sport. So yeah. I know we've sent kids to you before with um, who are runners, you mm. know, and and making sure that all their muscle groups are being covered, not mm. just um, not just running around the block, yeah, you know, forever. Yeah. As a kid, while you're growing, uh, variety is very important. Mm. Mm. Variety of load, variety of activity, variety of stresses on the body. Um, that's the most important thing. And I'm sure your previous guests would have said that specialising too early is not good for um, most kids yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, she uh, did. in sport. Yeah, she's an elite swimming coach. And I think the point that she made, which I really liked too, was that it was, um, it's a culture. You yeah. know, you're providing mm-hmm. the child with something to do that they love and it mm-hmm. um, will translate to their love of other things they do in life. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Mm. So let's hit part two of this myth. Mm. Go to the other end of the scale. So yes. we just kind of talked about like, 15 and under, I want to talk about kind of 70 and over. Oh, gorgeous. Gorgeous. (laughs) No, no, only because, can I say that there's a test that we do in our practice, and it's actually um, um, a pediatric, so you know I'm a pediatric chiropractor. Are you? Oh, (laughs) okay, for all you listeners, Archie is um, my son, (laughs) so that's why he's so rude to me. Uh, So, all right, there's a test called Gawa's test, where we lie a child on his, her back, they back, it back (laughs) and say um, get up and watch the child try to get up now we also do that with the other end of the age group you know more um, sort of in the 70s and beyond and it's actually quite interesting to see Mm. how people cannot get up off the floor So yeah, to your point, Archie. Mm. <laughs> or even maybe not how how not they can get up, but how complex they make we we make it mm. getting up off the floor yeah. when that should be a really functional, quite mm-hmm. easy movement for us to do. Yeah, it makes me um, quite sad. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, well, absolutely. Uh, when it comes to older populations, there, you know, lots of things start to decline as they would with age, and there are a certain amount of them that we can affect, slow the progression, and actually improve with strength training, uh, including bone mineral density, Mm. osteoporosis, slowing down the progress of that, Uh, sarcopenia, which is kind of the the muscle wastage, which is really important, Uh, cognitive impairment, cognitive decline, which and cognitive impairment and cognitive decline leads towards things like dementia and Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. Uh, These being the main ones, and falls prevention. So when we talk about these, all of those things, uh, when you put them together, become independence. Yeah, and quality of life. Independence and quality of life. Yeah. So strength training has the ability to affect all of these things and therefore have a huge impact on people maintaining their independence, maintaining their quality of life by still being able to do their activities of daily living um, and stay out of uh, the healthcare system you know, mm-hmm. as much as possible or stay out of the nursing system as nursing home system as much as possible um so where it starts for me is uh an assessment like that um like what you said lily where i do want to know if people can get off the ground and i'll ask them that because you know one of the the biggest things with elderly that causes people to be uh put into an aged care facility is they have a fall yeah and falls happen right i fall over you know, mm. there's, there's no problem. It's a fact of life. It's yeah. a fact of life yeah. falling. It's more about how does the person react, recover from mm. a fall. And that starts immediately with if they can get off the ground. Yep. Because if they can't get off the ground and they can't call someone to help, that's a serious problem. Yeah. And that's where a lot of people have some serious, serious problems. So that's what I want to look at first. 
their fear of falling, their ability to recover from a fall. Mm. Um, what comes into the main things that we do is, and, and where, the, where the research now is, and it's really, really strong research, is doing robust, um, high-intensity resistance training with old people. And what I mean by this is pushing people with an exercise, say we're talking about a, uh, a leg press. So a leg press is just a squat but on a machine mm -hmm. where you're pushing a weight uh, with your legs away from you. Uh, we want people to be working at a very, very high intensity. So to the point where they will fail as in not be able to do another repetition after eight. Yeah? Yeah. Now that is gonna feel like a very, very high intensity, but that is what these people need to do and because that is what our research has shown is most effective at uh, improving muscle mass, so reducing sarcopenia, uh, improving falls uh, prevention, and also uh, improving straight muscle strength. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and posture, I mean the, the bone density too. Well that's it, yeah. Okay, so first acronym, ADL. ADL, activity, yeah. activities of daily living, absolutely, <laughs> very important. Right. Yeah. So, so I think maintenance needs to start at the other end, you know, from mm. the womb, you know, so yeah, you know, we're working towards yeah, the yeah. Tomb, which is great, you know, mm. but for me, I, I think the whole philosophy of um, exercise and maintenance begins as young as possible. Mm. So, but I like the way you said that um, you're going to push them, mm. uh, push people, how do you... Not push them over. <laughs> <laughs> well, they can do it all about themselves. Um, how do you um, motivate them to come back? Because I would imagine um, they will be pretty sore the next day. Uh, yeah, so that's about education. It's mm. about pre-framing yeah. uh, what's going to happen. Uh, because that happens with every, every person, right? If they haven't done straight training a long time, then you know we do some squats and the next day they're sore. Yeah. Um, that, <laughs> with that, it's, it's about um, having that conversation of, Yes, you're going to be sore the next day, yeah. and that is okay. We haven't done any damage. We haven't injured you. You need to keep moving, and over the next two days, they'll likely calm down. You'll feel okay. The more you actually do this training, the more your body will adapt, and the less soreness you actually feel. Right, so you can high-five them and say, yay. Well done. Yep. Good job. You're sore. Yep. That means exactly. we did something. Well done. Yep. Don't worry. It's not going to happen every time. Yeah. Uh, you can also use an analogy. A good analogy is sometimes... Uh, using like calluses on the hand or a foot. So if someone uh, develops a blister, uh, I might say this for someone, if, if you develop a blister on your hand or your foot and you just stop doing everything because you don't want to hurt the blister and you go, oh my God, I can't do anything ever again because there's a blister there and not put any pressure on it, then that blister is going to go through the process and then your skin's going to stay really soft and not actually get tougher. If you work through that blister and actually continue to put some stuff through it, that'll become a callus. Mm. And that callus is very strong and very robust and can actually protect you. Yeah, so once again, it's communication mm. and education. Yeah. yeah, they need to know, Good. they need to know. If, you don't, if I don't tell someone that they're gonna be sore, then the next day they're gonna wake up and they're gonna be horrified and really scared that yeah, you know, their, their, their yeah. muscles torn off their bone yeah. Yeah. or yeah. something like that. And I oh my God, it, I need to see my doctor. Yeah, I call it satisfying pain, even like, you know, you know, I, I do this when you go through, go through phases of different sorts of training and you come back to a bit of strength training, you're going to be sore and I call it satisfying pain. So mm. I, um, like if my clients, if my patients come in and say they're sore, I just tell them to laugh at it. You mm. know, when you can't get off the toilet because you're too sore, you just laugh. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, well, I couldn't bring a glass of wine to my lips. That was really <laughs> sore. My triceps were dying. You know, but that's good. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you, yeah, like pre-frame, educate, and then make it a positive experience yeah. of them experiencing that pain. Mm. I find that's really powerful for my own mm. self to then go back and do more is because I've connected a really positive experience to it. Versus no the, pain, no gain stories. But by, also, the, by the time people get to the age that we're talking about, maybe 65, 70 plus, it's likely that at some point in their life they have felt this feeling before yeah. where they have not done an activity for a long time and then they've gone and done it, whether that's gardening or golf mm. or uh, walking or running or playing a sport or doing anything, right? People have seen me, they've had a, a whole lifetime of things where they must have done something active at some point, right? Whether they're active now or not and they would have felt that soreness. So if you can relate it back to that, and you can separate the soreness from pain, great. So what I find really works with my um, patient base is explain the molecular changes in their bodies. So you know, you might think this is a little bit um, highbrow for most people, but people actually like to hear what their physiology is doing. You know? So mm. I might simplify it, of course, like really make it simple, like say a micro muscle tearing, there is a bleed into it, you know, there is um, gonna be some soreness because of the inflammation. But the next day, the muscle then repairs and um, grows, you know. So looking, we're looking at um, something that's catabolic to become anabolic. And for me, for some reason, that works really well when I tell people that because they, they then go, oh, wow, okay. Mm. And it takes the emotion out of it. It mm. just goes, this is why I'm doing it. I mm. want a catabolic process so I can have an anabolic process. Mm. So I know it's not technically correct in a lot of physiology um, journals and textbooks, but to me, enough information is important you know yeah so do yeah. you find that works sometimes with your clients when you sort of explained a bit of the physiology behind it it depends if they want it or not mm. well, i don't have them. a choice yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll ask them like yeah. I'll, I'll ask someone before i provide them information it's mm -hmm. like hey do you want to know a little bit of what's happening in your body yeah um, Good on and you. they'll either say yes or no mm. yeah if they say no it's like cool don't worry about it mm. if they say yes it's like sweet i'll give them a little bit yeah. And, and how old is the oldest person that you've trained in, at Rebound? Oh, 97, Hey, I, I like that. Um, and, you know, they were in a nursing home. Mm. But what I did, and they didn't have access to a gym there, but that's fine. Yeah. What I did is I went in there and I was a resistance. So ah. they'd be sitting down in their chair up against the wall. You can be very resistant, and, and <laughs> I've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, um, that was good. Hey, you're interrupting my story. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> and I, and I, uh, they'd pop their foot up against my hand, mm. and then I'd tell them to push yeah. my hand away as hard as they can. Yeah. So give it, give everything they can. Good. And I'm basically a leg press there, mm, mm. and I'd want them to be struggling and yeah. pushing as hard as they can and going red. Great. That means they're working hard. That means I'm putting enough load through that muscle and those joints that we're going to get changes yeah and with that amount and if we can do that at least two to three times a week then we're going to have the changes we want it's going to help with uh, mild cognitive impairment it's going to help with muscle wastage it's going mm. to help with bone strength it's going to help with reducing the risk of falls and has this person um found the benefits then uh, i can't, i don't see them at the moment oh, um mm. but uh I, I pass them on to another colleague so mm. I, I couldn't actually tell you no, yeah. but the thing is, it must be so nice to have someone come and hang up for a goodly mm. amount of time oh, yeah. and do this, and you know. Benefit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, so just quickly before we move on to myth two. Yeah. Um, but obviously, Lily, you alluded to it before. We want this process to not just start when the person turns 70. No, of course. We want this to be a conditioning process that people can start 
earlier. Mm. They should start earlier. But in the same breath, it's never too late to start this process either. So, yeah. you know, I'm sure we've got listeners that can think of either themselves or many people around them that could benefit from things like this. It's never too late to start. Yeah. It's also, there are plenty of programs and things that can help you access it as well. Yeah. Um, that the government provides. Yeah. All you need to do is ask your GP or ask, um, or ask me or ask, you know, a health practitioner they should have some knowledge of some programs Mm -hmm. uh, that you can get involved in. Mm, Fantastic. So hit us with myth number two. Myth number two, this one's probably more of a short one. I think it just needs a bit of reiterating because sometimes uh, people can be turned away or scared of weight training, strength training because of it. Uh, For the vast majority of humans, strength training does not make you bulky. Sorry, the myth is strength training makes you bulky. Uh, I'm saying that it does not yeah. make you bulky. If you want it to make you bulky, great. You will need to be doing it at least four to five times a week and you're going to need to be eating a crap ton of calories as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, if, <laughs> for everyone else who's not doing it four to five times a week and eating at a huge calorie surplus, it's probably not going to make you bulky. It'll probably make you lean. It'll mm-hmm. give you good muscle strength. It'll reduce your fatigue. It'll probably actually make most people uh, look less bulky. Mm. actually gives you more lean muscle Mm. changes your body composition uh, which is great so uh, I think this is the thing that people are worried and and probably less so in the male population more so in the female population uh, that they might be afraid to to lift heavy weights uh, because they go oh I don't like the bulky look and that's totally fine Um, it's not going to make you bulky Mm. it doesn't, you know, the people who look bulky or who put on a huge amount of muscle mass that takes many, many years, and they have to work at that. Yeah, yeah. I guess people are looking at the cliches, you know, like mm. the um, the bodybuilding Yeah, looking at Arnold, yeah. yeah. Arnold works a lot harder than mm. uh, your average human going to the gym yeah, two or three job, times yeah. a week. Mm. Yeah, um, and also Arnold has a lot more testosterone in his body than most of the female population as well, which is super important for building lots and lots of muscle. Mm. So unless you... Uh, are adding testosterone into your diet, uh, it's unlikely, or you know, exogenously, it's unlikely that you're going to be getting bulky from doing lots of strength training. It's probably going to make you feel great, though. Yeah, yeah. That's that myth there. Great. And myth number three? Oh, yeah, we're, we're <laughs> talking about that. First one took like 25 minutes. Second one took about two minutes. Nice, yeah. easy. That's right. I think this one will open up some discussions as well. Which yeah, so the third myth I've got here about strength training is you need to go to the gym to do strength training. Mm-hmm. I don't think you do need to go to the gym for it. Obviously, it's useful to have the equipment, but for a lot of people, that might not be an accessible thing. Uh, you don't need the gym to do strength training. There are a lot of other ways you can do it. Yeah. Would you like some examples? I would love some examples. Okay. Uh, I write a lot of home programs for people. Mm-hmm. And once again, when we talk about what the definition of strength training is, it's not lifting huge weights necessarily. It is putting a certain amount of load through a muscle um, and a load that is enough stimulus to, to build muscle uh, and to challenge it and make it adapt. That just has to be something that will make that person fatigue in that exercise in, say, less than 12 to 15 reps. I can do that with a chair at home. Mm. I can do that with a lounge. I can do that on the floor. I can do that with a step. Mm-hmm. Um, I can do that with a kitchen bench for some people, depending on that person's level of strength, uh, you don't necessarily need it. Yep. You don't need heaps of equipment. 
it's very, very easy. We can do squats to your bench. We can challenge, make that squat harder if bodyweight squats are easy by making it more single leg or changing the tempo, the speed you're doing it at, going lower, mm -hmm. uh, these sorts of things. Holding some household equipment like a laundry basket. Yeah. So what do you think, okay, um, 12 to 15 reps, um, are you? Or less. Or less. I prefer less. And, and sets wise, would you say three sets or? Uh, you have to get a certain amount of volume in. So mm -hmm. it's more about volume over the week. But if we're saying right. that you're going to be doing it two to three times a week as mm. a minimum in order to get good adaptations, you'd want to be doing at least like uh, two to three sets uh, on in each of these sessions per muscle group. All right, and is one of the myths um, also that you do upper body one day and lower the next, or does yeah, it doesn't matter? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Okay, um, that's a myth that, as well. well yeah. uh, it, okay, it's a myth for general public. <laughs> mm. If you are an athlete, you probably need to give those muscle groups a rest uh, because you're likely going to be training them every second day six or seven times a week. Right, so okay. So then, yes, you probably do need to give your mm. body 24 hours plus 48 hours to recover um, but if you're going to be doing it two to three times a week or two to four times a week that's basically every second day anyway yeah and what about core you know deep core work is that can it be done every day or once again three or four what times what do you mean by deep core work well so abdominal muscles um, okay just yeah yes, abdominal yeah. muscles mm. every day it's no problem every day yeah yeah, yeah. no problem okay but and also like with core exercise if you're doing like robust strength training for your big muscle groups, a lot of core is included in that anyway. If you are holding weight, say if you're doing a deadlift or a squat or anything like this, your core is being used how your core is designed to be used. Yeah. Right? Your yeah. core is stabilizing. Yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah, and functionally too. It's yeah. bracing, it's doing yeah. what it's supposed to do while the rest of your body moves around it. Mm. Right? It's the trunk. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and what are your views on TheraBands? Great, it's just a form of resistance. I have no bias towards a particular type of resistance. I can make any resistance work for the person in front of me. Isometrics? Um, well, that's not a type of resistance. Like, isometrics is like a holding, yeah? Uh -huh. So isometrics is just like holding a position under load. Uh, not That's not as effective as moving. Okay. Because uh, it's not moving the muscle contractile tissue as you would be doing when you're doing other tasks. Right, mm -hmm. so it's not eccentric nor concentric, it's yeah. just a static. Yeah, just it's a useful state, yeah. thing to add into a program uh, if, you know, if you need another option, you need some variation, uh, or if you're just entering strength training and need an easy point to start at, isometrics are a great idea, let's do a little wall sit, mm. um, you know, that kind of thing. Hmm. Let's push a cushion between your knees and squeeze as hard as you can and hold it there. Yeah. These sorts of things. That's uh, an easier entry point than maybe doing a full movement. Um, but back on what you were saying about different types of equipment, yeah, you can use anything. Elastic bands, therabands, uh, dumbbells, barbells, kettle body bells. weight, kettlebells, all the bells. Washing baskets. Mm. Washing baskets. <laughs> Love it. Vacuum cleaners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, interesting. Okay, so I like the fact that you've given us the volume thing because I think this is often sometimes a bit of a confusing point, you know. So Yeah, yeah. look, when we talk about how frequent you need to be doing stuff, uh, if you've never done it before and you're just coming into it, you will notice change and you will get improvement from doing once a week because you're going from nothing to something. But if you're um, already an active person or you've now been doing once a week for you know, one month, two months, 
you're going to reach a plateau pretty quickly because it's not enough stimulus for the body to adapt. Mm. You need to be doing it more often. Uh, most research studies when it comes to strength training are looking at least two to three times a week. So that's where we judge most of our prescription off because that's what our research base shows us is effective. More is always better when it comes to this stuff. So, so the other myth that um, I'm always under is um, that people need novelty every three weeks. Is that true? No. 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 Um, variation uh, in the movement you're doing is great. Mm. Uh, but like novelty in terms of changing the exercise, it doesn't necessarily have to be. You can get novelty and variation by changing the amount of reps, the amount of load you're putting mm. on there. So one week I might be uh, loading really heavy and doing not many repetitions of it. And then another week I might be doing less load and a lot of repetitions. So what do you say to people who've been doing the same thing for years and years and years? You know, the same load, the same activity, you know, the same shape. Should they, I mean, are they then not changing anymore? That I'd, I'd say, like, are you getting the same benefit from reading that book over and over again so every is, time? So it's no. Mm. Yeah, no, no, you no. Get, your, your body's not adapting to it anymore. It's used to it. That's mm. like, mum, if I got you to do a 5K walk every day for the rest of your life, you're not going to get any fitter because you can do a 5K walk in your sleep. So, you know, so the reason why I'm asking this question is because in this practice, for me to get people to go and do things mm. is already hard, okay? Then they're doing things, and then keeping them doing things is also hard. So that's yeah. why I'm sort of asking for a round figure. Would I say, look, by the third week you've done this, you need to go back and get another program? Um, because I know there's a lot of research regarding yes, no, yes, no in your field because you guys are doing it so, so well and at your level. But for us on the outside, how do we motivate our patients? What number can we say? Like every three months they should get another program? Or uh, let's, let, let's mm. like the main principle when it comes to strength training is progression. Mm. You, you have to have progressive overload. So that means that if you get to a point where what you're doing is no longer challenging, right. then you need it to progress and change. And there's so, no round figure for that. Like, no, because some people might different. change really quickly yeah. depending on how much they're doing it. And some like if, if someone's done two sets of squats once a week for three weeks, you know, that's they're not gonna progress anywhere near as fast as someone who's doing that every day or like every second day for three weeks. Mm. Right? They're gonna progress a lot faster. But on that side, like, if someone, you know, we want them to be building leg strength, and it's like, hey, can you do uh, three sets of squats every second day? Uh, and that should be really challenging. Like, towards the end of that set of squat, you need to be fatiguing. And they get to a point where it's like, I, I can't fatigue um, bodyweight squats anymore, for example, and they're able to do 50 reps before their legs are getting tired. We need to progress that. We need mm. to be adding load to that. We need to be changing the movement to make it harder so that they are actually challenging their body because mm. that's not challenging enough. So the import, most important thing is challenge. So if you give a program to someone and they're doing a couple exercises, then you ask them, it's like, you find this challenging. Are you getting tired at the end of each set? And they say no. It's like, okay, this needs to be harder because yeah. their body is no longer going to adapt to that. Mm. And I think sometimes the whole keeping them doing it and keeping them progressing comes back to what they want to achieve out of it. Mm. You know, are they there because we've told them to be there or because you've told them to do these squats or whatever it is? Or are they, that might have been the reason why they 
started it and why they got there but why are they there and so I think sometimes bringing them back to what that goal is for them or what they're wanting to achieve out of that can be the motivator yeah absolutely like very very rarely will I set a goal with someone that they come in and I go great our overarching goal is that you can do 20 squats without stopping Um, it's what do those squats actually mean to this person Mm. and then that is our goal it's like I need to be able to lift my grandkids off the ground um, because I can't do it anymore. It's like, okay, that is our goal, is for you to be able to lift your grandkids off the ground and it not hurt or beat them to be, be too heavy. How we're going to get there is by doing these squats. Mm. Yeah, we've had this conversation just in the past episode, which is all about mindset, motivation, mm. um, communication, you know. Mm. So um, we're all going to find people who are going to think along our line and our philosophy and other people. You know, pushing the proverbial uphill, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, um, just a quick story here. One of um, my friends who you also know is a dentist in the eastern suburbs, and she tells a story that um, one of her patients asks her, so, um, Dr. Penny, um, which teeth should I floss? And Dr. Penny said, "Um, all the ones you want to keep. Mm. So I suppose... Do that with your muscles as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, When when we get to, uh, say, an older age group, uh, there are some muscles that take precedence over other ones because of their importance. So when we look at the research um, for the older population, the muscle group that is most closely correlated with independence is actually tricep strength, Ooh, which is really interesting. Like a posterior chain, mm. yeah. Um, yeah uh, it's more anterior chain actually because it's a pushing one. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, but it's on the it's on the back but it is used with your anterior muscles. But what a good bit of research, so triceps. Yeah, triceps, because uh, that is a muscle that helps push people out of a chair. Mm. So they need to put their arms on the armrest and push themselves up using their triceps. Very so good. for the upper body, triceps, super important. For the lower body, your hip abduction muscles are the ones that are most closely correlated with. For the listeners, Arch, what is a hip, hip, hip? Hip abductor. So that is if you are standing up and your legs are straight, your leg moving up to the side. So imagine your legs being abducted by aliens up to the sides of you Mm. and flying out to the side. That is your hip abductors. Um, And why we think that it's those ones is because those are very important for balance. Mm. Stability. Stability. Mm. Being able to stop yourself to the side. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, very, very important. But, wow. you know, obviously you train all your big muscle groups. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, for, for me, a lot of times it's um, the upper back extensors because um, if our head's drooping forward. Yeah, yep. so those thoracics because, um, you know, forward head posture is, is rife, um, mm. even from a young age group. But, mm. you know, as we age, there's a little sort of lump that happens to appear at the base of our necks and, you know, unkindly it's called a dowager's hump. But that's just where the cervical spine meets the thoracic spine and it becomes too kyphotic. Yeah. And the head then becomes, um, moves forward. And as we know, anything that moves forward has a longer lever and therefore feels heavier. So it's exhausting for those muscles to hold their head upright when um, the CT junction is um, so kyphotic. So yeah, I love it. Triceps, hip abductors. Mm. Just, just as like an indicator. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't just use those muscles no. at all. Mostly you've got these very, very large leg muscles, your 
quads on the front of your legs, your hamstrings on the back, your big bum muscles, your glutes, very important, your calves, very mm. important, um, and then your upper body, everything. Mm. Like back muscles, chest muscles, arm muscles, shoulder muscles. Mm. Um, if you look after all of them, that's, that's a good idea. Um, and yeah, try to <laughs> push them to fatigue is very, very important. Some, a lot of people will fall short of that. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, before we get into your three little things, Arch, I oh. think it's nice. Well, unless you've got anything else there. No, no. That was your three myths, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, plus, th- like, three from Lily as well. Yeah, plus a whole lot from us, but that's good. That's <laughs> part of the discussion. I love this. Um, I think a lot of people will kind of come in and listen to this episode and gain a lot from it and understand that there are many different pathways they can take to build in some strength training into their exercise routines. I think a lot of people will also feel a little bit lost in sometimes where to start. And so that's where it can be nice to have an EP. Um, have a personal trainer, have a whoever, one of your health practitioners kind of start with you to help either build a program to get you started or give you some yeah, specific things to start working on or even just focusing in and trying to unpack what that goal is for that person. So obviously we're um, encouraging people to check in with their health practitioners and get the ball rolling in these, in these settings if they need that help. Otherwise implementing some of the amazing strategies that you've given them with you know laundry baskets and kitchen benches and <laughs> all the rest of it, which can be really, really cool. Um, but for those listeners, where can they find you if they want to contact you or someone else at Rebound to um, get started? Yeah, well, Rebound Health uh, is where I work. Uh, we're based on Northern Beaches of Sydney, uh, but we also do telehealth and that sort of thing. Uh, and my Instagram is archie.richards.ep if you'd like to find me and contact me. Um, if you'd like to listen to me, I also have a podcast um, called The Honest EP Podcast, which is me and Andrew Daubney, who's the director of Rebound Health. Uh, we have a general chat. We chat about beer. We chat about health. Um, and we do it honestly. So if you'd like to listen to that, there's my plug. We love a little plug. Excellent. And also you can... Um you could also um, recommend other EPs in the Greater Sydney region. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've exactly. got a huge network of EPs. Beautiful. Yeah, you like can also that. find me uh, at Lily's Place on a Sunday night for family dinner as well. <laughs> oh, is that a promise? <laughs> um, okay, so hit us with your, your three little things to leave our audience with. Uh, so three little things is that I'm just going to reverse those myths into positive statements. Mm. You ready? Uh, you can't be too young or too old to do strength training. That's number one. Number two is strength training does not make you bulky. It makes you powerful. <laughs> uh, number three is uh, you don't need to go to the gym to do strength training. Yeah, cool. Those are the three. Fantastic. Amazing. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode, and we will see if this one rates as highly as your other one, which becomes your favourite episode. But I'll be back in season three. Back in season three. <laughs> All right. I'll be back, honey. Yeah. Yeah. We can't get rid of him, really. Yeah. Well, thank you, Archie. Thanks. Disclaimer, these episodes are not intended to replace help, treatment or advice from your healthcare professionals. The information in today's podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not designed to diagnose or treat any conditions. This is just a friendly reminder that we do not know you or your child or those around you and therefore do not know your specific needs. Please seek guidance from your healthcare professionals surrounding your concerns.